smartcast you're listening to a hindustan times production brought to you by hd smartcast hello and welcome to on the record pakistan has a new prime minister 70 year old shehbaz sharif was appointed after a drawn out vote of no confidence and much drama with the opposition coming together to oust pakistan tehreek e insaf leader and former cricketer imran khan khan came to office in 2018 with much promise of clean politics but it's all ended rather badly with him alleging that his losing the vote of no confidence was an international conspiracy sharif is the younger brother of former prime minister nawaz sharif and used to be chief minister of the punjab province so what does having a new regime in the neighborhood mean for india to talk about that we have former high commissioner and author of the excellent book on pakistan people next door tca raghavan mr raghavan thank you so much for speaking with hindustan times i want to start off by asking you what can you tell us about shehbaz sharif well, thank you for inviting me well as you mentioned shehbaz sharif is nawaz sharif's brother he belongs to a very prominent family uh, political family of uh, punjab Shehbaz Sharif and Nawaz Sharif's uh, father was a well-known figure uh, of uh, Punjab for many years. Nawaz Sharif has been prime minister thrice, and Shehbaz Sharif is a familiar name in Punjab politics uh, and has been a central figure in that province's politics since the 1990s. He is otherwise uh, well known for. delivering well as an administrator i think his general reputation uh, has been that notwithstanding all the talk and all the drawbacks about uh, his family's business connections and their own business dealings and uh, a certain amount of skullduggery associated with that nevertheless the overall perception of him uh, has been that he's a very good administrator and in particular he is excellent at implementing big infrastructure uh, projects to some extent this was also uh, prime minister nawaz sharif's uh, reputation because one great project which was implemented in the 1990s was the lahore islamabad highway which remains to this day a significant uh, infrastructural uh, upgradation uh, of pakistan and also of south asia so i would say shehbaz sharif stands out as a good administrator whether he will be able to bring those qualities to bear in his current tenure as prime minister of pakistan that, that remains to be seen and mr rakhman what would you say about the kind of trend in politics um imran khan as i mentioned at that time you know he talked all about clean politics and he obviously seemed to have uh, a lot of popularity even now we're seeing protests in various parts of pakistan would you say that right now shehbaz sharif kind of embodies a return to legacy politics with the usual suspects in the sense that he also faces some old charges of corruption and money laundering so if you look at the movement because your book talks about 
the highs and lows of India-Pakistan and the kind of how Pakistan politics has been evolving. So if you look at it in that perspective, what point, where would you place Shehbaz Sharif's appointment? Well, there is a certain section of people in Pakistan and particularly uh, in the younger generations who are tired of the old style of politics. They're tired of these uh, major, uh, almost feudal, but they are no longer feudal. They are really uh, industrial come landed families. Uh, these magnets uh, running, uh, you know, vast provinces, almost like their pocket uh, boroughs. So there is a certain element of exhaustion. And Imran Khan fed into that, quite apart from the other factors which propelled him or catapulted him uh, to the top job. There was this sense that uh, you need something new in uh, uh, in Pakistan. It is, you know, a country which has uh, a very large young population. They have huge, huge problems. Uh, in many ways, they have all the problems of South Asia uh, put together. Uh, uh, so there is that sense of exhaustion. But at the same time, the last three years uh, saw also a disenchantment with this new style of politics, which was uh, promising the moon to everybody. You know, having the, uh, the position that good intentions or stated good intentions can solve all problems. I think there is a sense of uh, disenchantment that, this promised new style of politics did not deliver. And this is quite apart from numerous other tactical errors and acts of omission and commission of uh, Prime Minister Imran Khan. So uh, I think the jury is out. We have to see what comes out at the top after a few months, whether this disenchantment will the older style of politics come to the top or whether there will be a sense that you don't need mavericks but you need a steady hand uh, with all its faults. You need someone steadier who understands the intricacies of governance and administration. If I can come now for a bit to the opening remarks uh, that we've seen Shehbaz Sharif make about India in his speech, where he devoted uh, considerable attention to India. What's your reaction to the fact that when he talked about India, he fell back on resolving the Kashmir issue. What do you make of that? You see, we have to accept that for any political figure uh, in Pakistan, uh, the Kashmir issue is uh, at the center of their radar. Uh, not center of the radar in substantive or real terms, but center of the radar in metaphorical terms. Uh, and certainly no one... Can, we can't expect anyone uh, to say that, you know, we'll put Kashmir on the back burner and get on with the rest of our uh, lives. Uh, they may well work with you to devise a package where you can move on on other things and then see what can be done about highly contentious issues like Kashmir. But no one is ever going to say it up front. Uh, and, I, and I think that is one of the central issues uh, in India-Pakistan relations. How do you move this immovable object so that your relations can uh, otherwise uh, not be stopped from acquiring some much needed uh, stability? I think in India, we tend to overlook how central Kashmir uh, is part, not just of their political discourse, but of their mental landscapes. Uh, you know, in many ways, 
the fact that K in Pakistan stands for Kashmir uh, is itself revealing of the, uh, the, the mindsets which uh, prevail and which exist. And do you think, is it, I mean, is it also relevant to the fact that um, his family is said to have moved from the Kashmir area? Is that of particular significance vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis his uh, reference? No, I don't think so. I don't think we should look for reasons in Shahbaz Sharif's family background or his own personality or his own intellectual inclinations uh, to see what he's saying. This is their... Uh, nationally stated position and there is a, a consensus on it across the entire political spectrum. Much like there is a consensus in India uh, in the most fundamental sense across the entire political spectrum that Jammu and Kashmir is an integral part of India. It doesn't mean that there are no nuances in this position, that you can't work with this position. Uh, but in the end, the challenge before India-Pakistan diplomacy is how do you resolve this, how do you deal with this issue to which there is no straightforward or obvious solution. So, so in that, having heard that part from you, would you, would you, uh, you know, what do you make of the fact that people are actually, you know, they felt that this kind of exchange of tweets that happened between our Prime Minister Narendra Modi and Shehbaz Sharif, that they felt that, oh, you know, there might be a warming up between the two, because we've seen the relationship between the two countries nosedive, whether it's after Pulwama, especially after the scrapping of Article 370 in Jammu and Kashmir. Uh, do you think people are making too much of the fact that they exchanged tweets? Well, I don't, I don't uh, underrate its uh, significance, but don't wish to amplify it uh, too much. Uh, it is good if India and Pakistan engage no matter on what platform, even if it is to engage to disagree. So while in substance we can say opposite things, as long as we are engaging directly with each other and not at each other, it is a healthy sign. And while you are quite right, the last five or six years has been uh, a virtual desert uh, in the relationship. But in the last year or so, there have been some positives. Uh, the ceasefire... Uh, has been very effective. That's a good development. Yes. Uh, a large consignment of wheat went uh, through Pakistan to Afghanistan for the first time yes. ever. Again, a significant uh, uh, development. There was a serious issue like the missile uh, uh, error, which was uh, handled well on both sides. Uh, and certainly Pakistan showed uh, good handling. So these are, you know, otherwise bleak landscape, uh, good takeaways. And given the background of uh, Prime Minister Modi's uh, earlier engagements with Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, I think uh, uh, this uh, is a, it's not, it's not a bad development. I just wanted you to expand a little bit on that last point that you made, the misfire. I, I mean, I, I found it extraordinary uh, that, you know, this entire thing had happened that we had misfired the Brahmos missile. And it felt like it was a huge, huge, uh, you know, there, there could have been major repercussions. But were you surprised at the way Pakistan was very, very measured in its response? Well, yes and no, because I don't think uh, 
anyone in India or anyone in Pakistan or most people in India and Pakistan want relations uh, to get out of hand in terms of how seriously they can get out of hand. Uh, so that extent, I was not surprised that uh, probably saner uh, assessments uh, prevailed because both in India and Pakistan, we have, uh, you know, a living example in front of us of how badly things can go between neighboring countries, which are otherwise intimately connected. And you have to look at what is happening in Europe between Russia uh, and Ukraine. And I think uh, both in India and Pakistan, notwithstanding a deeply adversarial relationship, uh, most people would say that that is one track we do not want to go down. Uh, so in that, uh, uh, in that uh, background, that India and Pakistan managed to contain uh, otherwise bad situations uh, is a good development. Uh, it has happened before and it's a very good development that it happened again. Mr. Raghavan, I want to ask you a little bit about how you see the role of the army and Shehbaz Sharif's relationship with the army as, as the popular assumption and perception, I should say, uh, of Pakistani politics is for outsiders like me. It's that if you have to survive, uh, you have to have a great relationship with the army. We didn't see uh, Nawaz Sharif, his brother, uh, in fact, you know, he was uh, in the 90s, he was uh, ousted by a coup, a military coup. Uh, would you say, and it's uh, many are saying that uh, Shehbaz Sharif has a better equation. Uh, could you explain a little bit about that? Well, it is true that the army is a principal political actor. Uh, it is not a political animal, but it nevertheless has an enormous background influence and often it is much more than a background uh, player. Uh, and certainly uh, every prime minister of Pakistan uh, has to uh, keep that in mind. But the, but the interesting contradiction in uh, Pakistani uh, politics is that it is almost a structural feature that no matter how much indebted uh, uh, a politician who becomes prime minister, anyone who becomes prime minister, may be to the army. Inevitably, over time, contradictions between the two mature and then come to a head. So this happened with Nawaz Sharif. You are quite right. He was ousted in a coup, but he began very much as a favoured candidate of the army who was specially chosen or specially selected to run Pakistan's politics. But within a few years and in a very short period of time, uh, contradictions between the prime minister and the army chief came to the fore. And it had happened earlier too, even with a non-figure like Moin uh, Qureshi and, uh, no, not Moin Qureshi, uh, I forget the name, but he was prime minister with Ziaul Haq. He was chosen by Ziaul Haq and uh, in effect uh, was seen as the army's creature but in the end had to be dumped by the army. And you've seen this over and over again and more recently with Imran Khan, who was, uh, again, the favoured choice of the army to deal with politicians they did not see eye to eye with, like uh, those from the People's Party and the Pakistan Muslim League. And now, in the end, differences develop between him and the army too. So it's a structural feature. And my takeaway from that is, is that while the Pakistan army is a very important political force, 
it is by no means the only political force in pakistan uh, the pakistan army also probably realizes and has to acknowledge the fact that pakistan is too complicated for it to run like a cantonment uh, it needs other other institutions to to run the country uh, and therefore you have a situation which becomes a kind of a de facto uh, sharing of uh, influence and sharing of uh, power uh, but as in all power sharing arrangements uh, you know it's not a easy process and such alliances are fundamentally unstable so this contradiction between the political class and the military is going to remain a recurrent feature of pakistan's politics and and would you attribute that to the fact that i find it fascinating that uh, even after so many years that no prime minister has completed a full term uh, is that factor responsible that is certainly one of the factors uh, which is uh, which is responsible uh, because uh, uh, you know pakistan has considerable uh, heterogeneity so it would be rare to find a political party which a, with a with such a overwhelming majority in parliament uh, that no factions will develop between within the ruling uh, party so to that extent every political uh, party which comes to power has a certain uh, vulnerability and even when such a vulnerability is at its uh, minimum uh, contradictions and tensions and frictions always develop between it and the military and the military as i said uh, has considerable influence in all political parties uh, and therefore ignoring its requirements or ignoring its interests uh, leads to inevitably leads to problems between it and whoever is in charge of uh, running the country my final question uh having served in pakistan having you know um so much knowledge about uh, the region what would you advocate uh, what kind of foreign policy towards pakistan would you like to see from india well i think it's it's difficult to answer because for 70 years the best minds in both countries have grappled with that question uh, and not come up with uh, really robust uh, answers uh, i think the to my mind the starting point has to be that we acknowledge that relations between neighboring countries uh, can often be or frequently are very rocky uh, it's not as if we are ever going to have a relationship with pakistan which is friction free turbulence free uh, or which is not periodically going to uh, see crises uh, erupt things are too complicated in south asia to imagine that kind of a golden uh, age uh, ever dawning uh, i think we will always have very difficult relations with pakistan but the challenge before diplomats uh, and before the for the foreign policy of both countries is how do you try and impart greater stability to what will always be a relationship which is uh, uh, trouble prone or accident prone Uh, and that means you have to disaggregate it and look uh, not so much at big bang approaches or big bang uh, processes or big bang solutions but disaggregate it and see what you can do uh, by looking at certain elements which can impart more uh, stability so in the past we have looked at issues such as trade 
possibly there is more scope for doing uh, something on that. Uh, there is also scope for uh, trying to increase cooperation in uh, areas such as public health, climate change. But the relationship will always be plagued by uh, crises. Because if you look at what is happening in our entire region, with what is happening in Afghanistan, uh, just like Germany or Europe could not insulate themselves from what was happening in Syria, we cannot seriously expect Pakistan to insulate itself uh, from what is happening in Afghanistan. And inevitably that has an impact with on, on India. So issues of extremism, terrorism, uh, all these will remain major challenges uh, to, the, to the relationship. Uh, I think uh, what is required is to have some kind of process in place uh, so that you have uh, stabilization measures to prevent uh, things from getting too much out of hand, while at the same time recognizing that given the nature of the relationship, uh, there will be occasions when uh, relations will plummet. If there is a major terrorist attack tomorrow, we cannot uh, insulate what will happen in India-Pakistan relations from public sentiment uh, in India or the kind of outrage which will uh, exist on the streets. I think those are all challenges which exist in neighboring country relationships. TC Raghavan, thank you so much uh, for giving us so much insight. And to everyone listening, um, they should really, I really recommend your book. I loved it. It gave me so much insight. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you for inviting okay. me. Thank you. If you enjoyed this edition of On The Record, don't forget to write to us. You can contact me on Twitter at Sunetra C and on Instagram, Ms. Sunetra, to tell me what you thought of this interview and if you'd like me to interview a particular person. That's it for now. Do like and subscribe and share this podcast. I'll be back again with another edition. Till then, goodbye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.